I'm your host, Demetria Wax. And I'm your host, Michael Wiafe. Today on Policy Wise. The role specifically was uh, working on trying to steer cannabis tax revenues back to communities of color impacted by the war on drugs. We saw the transformation of the public discourse around marijuana. This money can be going to something like very positive or, you know, it could be going to something that might have really negative consequences for the groups that were already disadvantaged from like super restrictive marijuana laws. How could the state, uh, you know, take a big picture look at this and see, is this really making a difference? And, uh, in the communities that were most impacted by the war on drugs. So there was that that large transformation from it being kind of more of an underground thing to something that you can be driving and see a huge billboard. <laughs> but we'll go into that a little bit more later. The roots of racialized drug laws and drug enforcement are deeply ingrained to our criminal justice systems. The war on drugs starting in the 1970s drove this discrimination against people of color, specifically black people of color, deep into families, communities, and institutions, driving families into poverty, separating children from their families, and creating generations of cumulative disadvantage. The enforcement of marijuana laws has played a particularly large role in this process. As an increasing number of states legalize marijuana, there's a debate where money raised from this industry should be spent. Youth Forward is an organization dedicated to improving health, education, and well-being of our most vulnerable children and youth through policy advocacy, education, and community action. They've become a leading voice for racial equity and community reinvestment in regards to cannabis legislation in California. Today, we have two members from Youth Forward, Executive Director Jim Ketty and Policy Advocate Sarah Michael Gatson. Sarah, Michael, and Jim, could you please introduce yourselves, uh, who you are, how you ended up at Youth Forward, and specifically involved uh, in this topic? Um, hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Michael Gaston. I'm the policy advocate with Youth Forward, and Youth Forward is a nonprofit that supports vulnerable youth and youth of color, um, trying to advocate for more public investments for them and um, reduce the criminalization of young people. How I ended up at Youth Forward, uh, I had a friend of Jim's and uh, after college, I did an informational interview with him. And when in 2019, uh, he had a position available and asked me if I was interested and it combined social justice, public health and uh, young people. And so I was all in and um, the role specifically was uh, working on trying to steer cannabis tax revenues back to communities of color impacted by the war on drugs. So that's how I got involved um, in this topic of cannabis legalization. Yeah, I'm Jim Ketty, and uh, I um, have had a long career in the community organizing field in California. I started working as an organizer in 1987 in Oakland. And over the years, I've worked on a lot of different issues. I've uh, worked in state policy, I've worked locally on very local neighborhood issues. Um, and uh, I, um, I started to pay attention to cannabis legalization in uh, 2016, when it started to look to me like Prop 64 was going to pass. And I just got curious about it. So I went in and I, I read the long ballot measure. I actually read it several times. And a couple of things just stood out to me right away. One is that this was a, an issue that had a long racialized history in California and that people had been, you know, black and brown people had been going to prison for decades for now what was going to be a legal industry 
mostly driven by white entrepreneurs. So that really stood out to me. And then the second thing that stood out was, wow, you know, this is going to generate a lot of revenue and profit. Where's the money going to go? You know, government's going to collect revenue. How is government going to spend the money? And then also the industry would generate profit, profits for individuals, for business owners. What's that going to look like? And it, uh, and it, you know, kind of be, as I look more and more into it, what struck me is that this would be something to, worth paying attention to. And I, and I, um, so I started a new nonprofit called Youth Forward to work on it. And for the first year, it was really my dog and I in the living room, kind of figuring out, building a nonprofit, starting to engage with other people and talk to other people about what this could mean and learn more about uh, the world of cannabis, which was new to me. Uh, I never really worked on drug policy. So I had kind of a steep learning curve, um, but it, yeah, it was uh, it was fun and it was relevant and it was urgent. So it, I think uh, I have a very interesting, and I'm sure Demi has a, a similar, I guess, viewpoint in terms of we saw the transformation of uh, the public discourse around marijuana and also just like the advertising of it. Um, from you know, there's a very big difference from. Uh, when I was in high school to college and, and the way that it would be discussed, um, in the way that, um, uh, people would acquire it as well. And so there was that, that large transformation from it being kind of more of an underground thing to something that you can be driving to a huge billboard, <laughs> um, and, and have it up there. So I'm, I'm curious with all of the, this new, I guess, cash flow, where is money currently going and where should it be going? So the money, um, is currently going to, uh, for, and, and more, but uh, the ones that we uh, track and like look at are four state grant programs. And um, they are uh, run by state agencies like Department of Healthcare Services, uh, Department of Education, and the California uh, Natural Resources Agency, the Board of State and Community Corrections, and then the Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development. And so with those uh, main grant programs. Some of the language in Prop 64 already showed where the money should be going, and that was the California um, Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development. It specifically uh, talked about um, repairing some of the harm that had been caused by the war on drugs and going back into, um, you know, marginalized communities. And so with that one, that one was the first one we we started working on and trying to shape so that it really was grounded in communities that were supporting these communities and providing social services like um, addressing barriers to um, reentry, you know, with legal services and um, as well as substance use uh, prevention and treatment. And so uh, that one was really great. But, you know, one of the things that we um, were trying to uh, further like help guide the implementation was like, you know, we don't want the money um, split up in these six different social service areas um, to have like a specific number for the money. So like the money, I think it was like maybe 20 million to start with. And they were thinking, let's put 5 million in this pot and 5 million um, for this social service. We were like, you should let applicants um, apply for a multitude of services um, because uh, then, because they're already doing, you know, more than one specific, um, you know, task. 
And um, and so that was where we could, you know, be like, this is what uh, community-based organizations on the ground have said would be beneficial, you know, to them. And making the application um, not so cumbersome, you know, not so long, and give, allowing some of the money to be um, uh, given up front, you know, versus them having to spend money and then get a reimbursement. So those were some of the things that we advocated for. And then the other three grant programs, we really had to like get in from the beginning. And when they were, you know, announcing the grant program and then um, having meetings um, to, to, to shape it, uh, we had to go in and, and be like, this is what happened with the war on drugs. And this is why we need to ensure that there's racial justice and equity um, as you roll out, you know, these dollars. And, um, and so that's, <laughs> that's what we've, you know, been able to do. And, um, and I think for the most part, all of the state agencies have been um, receptive to our, our feedback. I think, you know, it, it helped that we were kind of uh, some of the first people in the space trying to shape, um, you know, the money and they saw that we, um, uh, we had, you know, credibility, um, as, you know, stakeholders and we had, a, and we made sure to make a lot of, um, connections and relationships across the state to uplift, um, the work that they're doing and, you know, their, give their advice and put that forward when we were meeting with, um, the policymakers and the decision makers at all of the state, um, agencies. So <laughs> there is, Jim, if you want to like add, you know, anything to that. Yeah, I would just add to what Sarah said that um, so far um, the state has awarded about $100 million to nonprofits um, uh, working in communities of color. And the money grows every year as the cannabis industry grows and sends more tax revenue to the state. Um, I think by the end of this year, it'll be about $175 million. Um, and then in addition to those four grant programs that Sarah described, the state's also using a pretty big chunk of Prop 64 it's cannabis revenue for child care. Um, so it's helping expand child care access in California. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, I was just about to ask because uh, it seems like most of the way in which this money is going back in kind of, you know, fighting these deeply ingrained cycles of poverty is through grant programs. Um, but through this child education program, is it linked to this kind of overall feeling of, you know, you know, stopping disadvantage um, through like hitting it, you know, early on in the cycle? Is is that the perception of the early education programs? It is, yeah. But certainly the, the state's uh, use of the dollars for childcare is supporting low, the lowest income and low income families in the state. For sure. Got it. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask because you know, because this is so new and the way that it's functioning is through grant programs, which is also often hard to kind of track the impact of and, you know, tracking the impact ends up putting like additional pressure on those organizations and different things like that. How are you uh, measuring the impact this money is having and um, what would make you feel like you've accomplished all that you've wanted to accomplish? Now, I guess I would say that, um, uh, we're watching, you know, we've seen a lot of terrific organizations that we know do great work. We've seen a lot of organizations uh, receive those dollars. So we have a lot of confidence that, you know, those community-based organizations 
are doing terrific work uh, with these new funds. Now, what, what's not written into state law, which was not written into Prop 64, was any kind of mechanism to do like a big picture evaluation. And that's something that I think we'll be advocating for in the near term, in the next year or two. How could the state, uh, you know, take a big picture look at this and see, is this really making a difference in, uh, in the communities that were most impacted by the war on drugs? Um, but that, that, that function was not part of the initial ballot measure legislation. I wanted to also add that um, this revenue that is collected from cannabis at the state level is only one part of the picture. So local cities and counties that have legal marijuana businesses, they're collecting revenue too. And unfortunately, what we've seen is that those cities and counties are for the most part just spending those new dollars on what they already do. And the money goes to the general fund of the city or the county. And with that, it means that a good chunk of that money is going to law enforcement and general government services. And in some cases, um, cities have created specialized new law enforcement units that are supposed to be out there cracking down on the underground economy or the illegal market. Um, so we've been kind of uh, hitting the alarm bell about that and encouraging groups at the local level to organize to have their city's dollars or their county dollars directed to the neighborhoods and black and brown neighborhoods that went back and brown on drugs and not just have the money disappear into government or certainly not to expand law enforcement because I don't think anyone voted to legalize marijuana with the goal of expanding law enforcement. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, with Correct. that, you've, you brought up, you brought up, two really like different sides of this, which is this money can be going to something like very positive uh, or, you know, it could be going to something that might have really negative consequences for the groups that were already disadvantaged um, from like super restrictive marijuana laws. Looking at that and seeing how marijuana laws are changing across the entire nation, um, has there been is do you know what the dialogue is in states that have just recently uh legalized marijuana as well as have we been as california looking to say colorado and oregon um, for ways that we can move forward and productively spend this money yeah um so the early states that legalized like colorado washington oregon pretty much did it without paying any attention to racial equity so we followed uh, in California, and uh, I, I think we've, you know, big picture, have probably done a better job than those other early states. But some of the states that have followed us in legalizing, like Illinois, have also included language in their measures about directing tax revenue to the communities most impacted by criminalization. So we're seeing that now as more states legalize, there's been more uh, attention paid to doing some repair of the harm caused by the long drugs. But, but it's a lot to pay attention to, to be honest with you. But there's really no national conversation about this. It's happening kind of state by state. It's, it's, uh, there's no like national advocacy push on it. And there really should be because there's so much money at stake here. So I'm really curious. There, there was a state, um, there was a state that expunged all records for people who were locked up 
on marijuana possession charges. Um, what what is California kind of doing around that? Uh, around people who are currently locked up for something that is now legal. Um, has there been any movement on this? Uh, do you know? I don't know which state um, that is. I know it's you know not California, but we have been taking um, you know measures to um, expunge people's records that have man- marijuana you know misdemeanors um, or felonies. And we were able to um, expunge about 6,000 records in the Sacramento area. And that was, you know, some of it was completely clearing records. Some of it was um, reducing a felony to a misdemeanor. And uh, the exact, you know, moment as of uh, 2021, um, May, we're in May, um, where that is. But we have been working on it and we are seeing progress. Yeah, Sarah mentioned we made some good progress here in Sacramento, but there are other counties that still have lots of people in in that county who have cannabis mm. offenses on their record and should have their records changed. Um, and we've been trying to look at which are those counties and what can be done about it. So it looks like we're having somewhat of a, fortunately and unfortunately, depending on who you're talking to, it's a very localized approach into you know, how, how different counties or cities decide to, to handle the situation. Uh, I looked it up and it, it looks like it's the state of Illinois um, that expunged minor cannabis offenses for possession or dealing, having 30 grams or less and below June 25th, 2019. So the that's what I found on Illinois. And so I thought, I remember when it first came out, it was a big kind of thing and it was all, all over social media. Um, that basically anyone with those charges, you know, <laughs> can, can, can get out. And I feel like California can, can look at doing something similar, possibly. Uh, yeah, I can add some more detail on that. We, we did work on state legislation in 2018 with the goal of having all records cleared in California for cannabis offenses. And it created a process where the Department of Justice created a list of everyone in the state that would be eligible the Department of Justice then sent the list to the district attorneys who uh, looked it over and um, were then responsible for giving it to the courts. And the courts have been dragging their feet in getting that those records cleared. Some counties have moved quickly and others have moved slowly. So that was my earlier comment about some counties have yet to really move on it. Um, and we, this year, we attempted to introduce an, another piece of legislation that would force those counties that are dragging their feet to act. And unfortunately, in the the way the bill process worked, the bill is currently not live, but we are continuing to push to see if we could have language added to accomplish that in the sort of trailer bill process that's going to be happening in the next month or two. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I think the actual like legal courts is something that we don't get to talk about a ton um, on the podcast. So to thank you for, for bringing it up. Uh, I do want to move into other work um, that your organization does. And, and that's also, you know, while you promote kind of like this regeneration through the legalization money, there's also this other side um, where you want to make sure that young folks um, are careful with the use of cannabis and, uh, you know, aren't using it. And that certain industries aren't, you know, taking advantage of young people by promoting to them. Could you 
maybe clarify what I just said to, to, the, <laughs> to the rest of the listeners um, or yeah, kind of just go a little bit more into that, that work. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll jump in again on this one. Um, yeah. So uh, we have been tracking the health research on cannabis use for quite some time now. And uh, what you can see is more and more evidence that um, frequent cannabis use by adolescents and young adults not good for brain development and in some cases it can trigger schizophrenia psychosis it's particularly risky if young people are using cannabis products with really high levels of thc and the cannabis industry has been driving the whole market towards higher and higher levels of thc so cannabis has two kind of basic components THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient that makes you high and affects your brain, and then CBDs. And when you look at medical cannabis, those are predominantly CBD products. So the more CBD in cannabis, the less THC. The more THC, the less CBD. But the markets move towards these higher and higher concentrated cannabis products, shatter, dabs, wax, a lot of vaping is very super high THC. And um, in our view, um, we should move towards regulating the cannabis industry, just like we regulate other industries, and uh, put caps on THC levels. Sometimes you find with people who are older, they think of cannabis as like whatever they did when they were younger. And, you know, they might have smoked weed when they were in their early 20s or when they were a college student. But the reality is that the, what they experience. 20, 30 years ago is quite different than what people are using today. And the, the industries, just like tobacco industry, is looking to make a product more addictive. And there is, you know, about 10% of cannabis users do have an addiction problem. And that number has been growing steadily as the amount of THC goes up. Um, so it's, it's something, you know, there is kind of this um, common perception that cannabis is harmless or it's a universal health product. But in fact, um, that's not the case and the, the, the research shows something different. The other population that has to be really careful around cannabis is pregnant women. And pregnant women, are, you know, more and more pregnant women are using cannabis for nausea and for, you know, issues around being pregnant. And, but unfortunately there is a clear, uh, there is, Using cannabis when you're pregnant increases your risk for low birth weight, stillbirths, so it's dangerous. Um, and uh, but that's also part of something that's not really known. And uh, I, I do think it's we we have to start looking at this in a serious way because it's it's just going to get out of hand, and you can't count on industry to regulate itself. The industry is about making money, you know, bottom line. And you know we've seen. Uh, whether it's tobacco, alcohol, these are basically predatory industries and cannabis is one as well. Yeah, that's why I think it's important to raise awareness about the negative impacts of cannabis because the brain is still developing until we're about 25 years old. And there are, um, you know, young people um, getting pregnant, you know, as well. And so um, that's, something that we, you know, have to educate people about is that it's not um, all just um, medicinal and, you know, has huge health benefits. There are some, um, you know, drawbacks and, um, 
and we really do want to protect, you know, our our future generations, you know, our young people and um, our pregnant young people. So. so I'm actually really glad that that you uh, that you both brought that up. Um, really, I was thinking about the the similarities between tobacco. Uh, the tobacco industry and, and how the marijuana industry might be leaning in that direction um, just a little bit. And so I guess my question then, um, as they are very much so predatory industries that are trying to make as much money and trying to get people more hooked on their, on the, on their vices, um, what, I, I guess what policy changes or what should we be thinking about in order to stop the marijuana industry to uh, stop the marijuana industry from uh, creating the, the level of damage that uh, we kind of saw with the tobacco industry and even um, the alcohol industry to the point where they had a, a Congress pass legislation to, to amend the constitution to, to ban it all. So I, I guess what what should we be thinking about doing uh, on a statewide scale? And then I, I assume that some of this is going to hit national. So how can we preemptively create legislation that, that might steer it in the right direction, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, we work closely with a, um, a public health leader, Dr. Lynn Silver, who's at the Public Health Institute. Her project is called Getting It Right from the Start. And Dr. Silver has um, created a whole template for how cities and counties and the state can further regulate the cannabis industry to, um, for example, put caps on THC levels, to reduce youth marketing. So like we just, um, as a state for the, you know, a huge step forward, we banned flavored tobacco products, right? And flavored vaping and all that. It was all used to hook young people, bubble, bubble gum flavor, mango flavor. Well, the cannabis industry has cannabis flavored soda pop, um, cannabis candy, gummy bears. It's, it's all very, uh, it's all marketing to youth, young people on billboards. Um, I got an email the other day from somebody down in Oceanside in her city. I just given a permit to a local manufacturer that sells marijuana vaping pens. And their, the video they used to promote their vaping pen showed this young woman who could have been anywhere from 16 to 21. You know? So all the, you know, the old tobacco game plan of getting young people hooked that is just being repeated here by the industry. Um, Unfortunately, the, I would say the, the state leadership, the legislature, the governor have been largely, they've been resistant to looking at this. Um, they, um, they're forming a new consolidated Department of Cannabis Control, and Dr. Silver and I have been urging them to have a strong public health component in that new department. And we'll find out if they took our recommendations when the governor comes out with this May revision of the state budget in a few weeks, in a week or two. Um, but I don't know. Like it's we have got we got a long ways to go on this one. You know, there's it's there's a lot of ignorance, lack of education, and then also just people wanting to you know politicians taking campaign contributions from cannabis industry, want to look chasing cannabis money. For their city budget, you know, it's, it's, we got, we have a lot of work to do. Oh man, that, that's so, uh, so interesting. I, uh, so I've been, I've been in London for, for most of the year and there it's like, um, it's totally legal and, um, I'm sorry, totally illegal. And coming back here, I think like even in like the year that I've gone, things have just changed so much. And, um, I had a friend call me the other day 
because her mom just like went to the store and accidentally got um it was like weed infused um uh, olive oil for like cooking and so and the, the mom was like freaking out and she was like i have to be so careful now i have to like look at everything um and, and it is there's just so much that's going to happen with it and i could just imagine if, if this happened to just someone that I know how it's happening to everyone else. Um, so it's very interesting and it'd be, it'd be great to track. Um, I, I do have a question and this is for, for Sarah Michael. Um, and we talked about a little bit the impact on women, specifically pregnant women, but you are a former board member and community organizer for Black Women United. And in what ways do you see that these policies impacting, you know, Black women in particular? Um, well, I think, you know, specifically back to, um, the war on drugs, which I think you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation and how that has impacted communities of color. And, um, and what you touched on, I think, was that just that it has deprived generations of black and brown communities from accumulating generational wealth that, um, you know, would allow them to possibly be involved in, you know, the cannabis industry. And so I think that with Black women in particular, um, they, the, you know, separating of families and, um, and making it hard to get, you know, employment and or, or housing, um, that impacts Black women um, at, I feel like, increasing, you know, rates. Um, and, you know, when we talk about um, the the cannabis industry and how it's currently um, dominated by uh, uh, white investors and and um, and white owners, like that's an issue because uh, there's still people locked up. And um, and so when you know black women are wanting to get into the you know business themselves and um, accumulate or generate some of that wealth, um, they're they're experiencing a lot of uh, roadblock roadblocks. Um, to, you know, get a license or start, you know, a startup um, because the, the fees are high. And um, and then they also are, are seeing that um, the local jurisdictions are putting a cap on the amount of licenses that they can have in their, um, you know, city or county. And, um, and it, so it's already like oversaturated with all these wealthy, you know, white people. And, um, and so I think that's, you know, just a really, um, a really good point because even, I think even like just specifically, um, you know, you know, men and women, there are more men in the industry, in the cannabis industry than, than women. And, um, and so even more so black women, are, you know, not seeing that, uh, the equity there of being able to, um, enter the industry. And that's such a, that's like such a good point too. I'm, so I'm in Berkeley right now and I've been here for about a year. Um, I went, I went with some of my friends down to Oakland, which isn't too far away. It's like a 10 minute drive or so. We were walking, uh, down the street and I remember just seeing this really nice looking store and I was like, what is that? And I remember we, we were just like, oh, like, like, let's just go in, whatever. We go in and it's a dispensary. But when I tell you it was like an Apple store, like it, I was, I was just so like, <laughs> I guess I've just never thought of like a store that would be selling drugs to just be like so high tech and they had like you know different ways of like testing it out and and all this and i'm like what is going on here 
I definitely remember hearing some of my friends talking about picking up from the plug behind the gas station, like, and just the, that level of transformation, um, it is very intense. And, and really, I don't know how else to describe it other than gentrification. I mean, it's like the gentrification of, of the entire industry, mm-hmm. um, and, and how that affects, uh, people's cash flows and, um, you know, we still have people locked up for it and that entire industry is no longer what it used to be literally five years ago. Um, so we have to think of ways to, to at least try to, try to get, uh, try to build some institutional wealth around that for, for the communities that have been affected, but also have been like carrying <laughs> the survival of the industry. And even were basically the ones that, that got it to pass, uh, and, and made it more available. Anyway, there's, there's my quick rant. Um, I, I realized that we're kind of coming up near, uh, near, near the hour. Um, and, and want to thank you both for being here and want to ask, um, what is your advice to young people and policy professionals who are listening or possibly listening to, uh, to this conversation, um, thinking about these topics and, and, you know, thinking about how it plays in their day to day lives? What advice would you have for them, uh, as they move forward and go into different industries and, uh, think about how they, how they all, uh, interact? Uh, maybe Jim, let's start with you. Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage um, folks to get involved in this issue at the local level um, to figure out what your city's doing or your county. Um, think about what, how you think this should be happening um, and to uh, make your voice be heard on it because um, it's just going to get bigger. It's just going to generate more money and more and more cities are going to have legal businesses. So how they go about doing all of that is super important. And um, there are both opportunities here and, and threats. So yeah, I'd encourage folks to get involved locally. And certainly if um, people want to connect with us, we're happy to support any local effort or help people learn more about uh, this kind of policy area. So don't, please don't hesitate to contact me or Sarah. Um, I, would, I would agree with Jim, um, you know, get involved locally and um, and, you know, a starting point would just be to um, call or email your city manager and, and ask the direct questions that, you know, you're looking for. Like, how are, um, is cannabis legalized, you know, in my um, city? Because that might be a question, you know, you need an answer to. Um, where, if it is legalized, where is, where are those tax revenues going? Um, and, and just go from there. Because sometimes it can be, uh, challenging just, you know, doing a Google search, like looking for that information, because oftentimes it's not there. It's, it's, you know, just, you know, hard to find. And so, um, just call like directly to, um, your local government to, to find out that information. And, uh, like Jim said, um, we'd be more than glad to, um, assist you or support you in, uh, figuring this all out because we, um, uh, really, you know, support, uh, youth leadership and, um, in youth organizing, getting involved to, um, you know, make the change that you, um, you want to see. And, um, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, think what else I think also, um, you know, possibly trying to reduce the stigma around, um, about being involved in um, in this type of like work, like caring about where cannabis tax revenues are going, and um, and I and I think that even what I've seen is that the like jobs are 
are hard to come by, especially for young people. But we need to make that a priority. We need to give um, young people the skills to, um, you know, work and um, and um, and 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 so in one of those areas, I think that there's probably stigma is is being involved in the cannabis industry, um, you know, working at a dispensary or something. But it's just like, how do we how do we talk about um, that shift of um, why is it, um, you know, overwhelmingly dominated by white people, you know, that are cultivating and um, and selling at these legal, you know, dispensaries? It should be um, people of color and it should be, um, you know, people of color that are receiving um, these licenses um, and are receiving, um, you know, money from their local governments to, um, you know, have a, have a business. So um, I think, you know, getting involved in that way, um, I think is valid, you know, if that's something that you want to do. And so I just want to encourage that. So I, I know I said that that was kind of our last question, but I have a quick follow-up. Um, now that I'm starting to think about it, I feel like this might be a more challenging space for young people to get involved than maybe other policy areas because there's also the added um, stigma might not be the word, but I feel like as a young person, if I go to a, a legislator, uh, legislator and say like, we have to relax our cannabis rules or we have to do something like this, they're just going to look at me and be like, that's just because you want more or that's because you want it to be cheaper or, you know, not necessarily taking us as seriously as, as thinking about the policy issue, but thinking about mm -hmm. us more in that context. Is that something that you've, that you've seen or ha have encountered at all um, or that you think is a problem? Um, I, I can't say exactly. I think over, over in general, um, regardless of how old you are, I feel like legislators are hesitant, um, to, um, to move on, you know, cannabis policy and, or, and specifically to, um, to regulate it and, um, and reduce like, or not reduce the, the fees, but increase the fees. They, the, um, the cannabis industry wants, um, to reduce, um, uh, to reduce the fees and we want to increase the fees so that those revenues can go back into the communities that, um, were negatively impacted by, um, drug policies. So, um, I, I can't speak exactly to, I think, uh, how, how they view, um, you know, young people doing, you know, this advocacy, but I think that is a, is a, a great point you bring up, Michael, because I, it probably is something that is in their minds. <laughs> What do you think, Jim? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to add that um, here in Sacramento, we've been supporting our friend and colleague, Malachi Sekulamem, who's been leading a campaign with the city to have the city provide extra supports to people of color who may be getting, who want to get into the cannabis industry. And our view is, you know, for people who come from communities that were impacted by the war on drugs, that they should get extra support. Um, reduce fees or no fees, loans, startup funds, uh, technical support. So that's kind of one category of the cannabis industry that frankly is very small. But for the larger kind of big cannabis, the kind of cannabis industry that the tobacco industry is investing in, there is, you know, really mostly 99% white, white entrepreneurs. That industry, I think, should, you know, should be taxed and should be, um, you know, uh, we should, we should be, their, their profit margins 
should be, some of that should be going back in the communities impacted by the war on drugs. So it's sort of a complex issue and it takes a while. It's got a lot of different nuances. There's also this whole issue around the environment and the long history of illegal grows on tribal lands. So there's a lot to it. Um, there's a lot, lot to talk about. It feels like there should be a, a policy that taxes these bigger cannabis companies and that money goes into generating um, startup money for young women, well, young women of color to open their own cannabis industries. And, <laughs> and then, and then you can, yeah. yeah. Or to open any other kind of business. Yeah, know, to no, totally, drug, totally. The war on drugs had a negative economic impact on people of color for decades and decades, yeah. right? So the profits of this could also go towards helping people of color start businesses of any kind, right? Yeah, definitely. And my definitely. Family, like mine. No, no, it's super interesting. And, um, I, I, I know that I learned a lot and I know our listeners too. And uh, I just want to say thank you to you both um, for joining us and uh, for all the work that you're doing. And um, we'll make sure to put the links to, um, to your contacts, to Youth Forward, uh, so that people can reach out if, if they're interested um, and, and tell, them about, tell you all about the stuff that they're doing as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Policy Wise. We are your hosts, Demetria and Michael. Michael and I would love to hear from you. What topics would you like to hear about and who would you like to hear from? Check the episode description for a link to our survey. Thanks. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Youth Leadership Institute makes sure young people are at the decision-making tables across California. And California Forward leads a statewide movement, bringing people together across communities, regions, and interests to improve government and ensure that the economy works for everyone. Jarrett Ramones produced this episode. Social media graphics created by Abby Pugh. And the music was sourced from artlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org. And be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussions with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion here on PolicyWise.